Well, welcome to week three of Breathing Room. Every time I watch that, I think, man, what are we trying to do in life? We're trying to cram so much in. And I identify with quite a bit that's going on there, thinking, yeah, rushing about and trying to fill in as much as possible has been my life. But I don't know about you, over these last few weeks, we've been talking about having breathing room. I've realized quite how fast-paced my life is because I've realized how impatient I get when it slows down. They have a 40-mile-an-hour limit on the A14 right now. What's that about? 40 miles? You're like, I can't, I can't move. I can't, I can't get anywhere. And this morning, there was a car in front of me who was doing 40 miles an hour, and I was on my way, and I needed to get here. And it's like, 40 miles, so slow. And you're like, Jesus, please tell the person in front, they don't need to get off offended, and they need to go off the next exit, because I want to get off, and I want to actually get here. It's amazing how fast-paced that we all try and live. But we're on week three, so hopefully we're beginning to learn that we can actually put some breathing room into our life. The, the definition of breathing room is the space between, the, or the distance between our current pace and our limits. And we've begun to discover that life is better when we have some breathing room in it. And we've said to you that we don't want something from you, but we want something for you. God loves you. We love you. We're not getting at you. We're wanting to give something to you. God wants something for us, not from us. You know, we, we turn to overcram, and last week we found out that time is limited, so you have to limit what you do with your time. Today we're going to be looking at money and finances. Money is limited, but you don't always have to limit what you do with your money, because although time can't be borrowed, money can. And sometimes that's where we get ourselves into some difficulty um, financial pressure. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning, but we've asked, what does your life look like? It may be okay for your wardrobe and your, your closet at home to look something like this that I'm going to reveal in a while, but not your finances, your time, or your relationship. Maybe your wardrobe looks a little bit like this at home. It worked in the first time. We have lots of finances as well, ready to show that we're going to be talking about money today. I don't know about you, but I hate seeing money lying around. I really hate it. Well, it reminds me, when my kids were little, they used to get given pocket money if they did jobs, or their grandparents would give them pocket money. And if I saw it lying around on the side, they'd be given it, and they'll just put it on the side, and then a few day, hours later, it's still sitting on the side, or maybe even the next day. I would say, if I see that money lying around anymore, I'm going to take it away and you will not have it. So that they had to pick it up and they put it in their piggy banks. Anybody else do the same? Is it only me has a thing about tidy money, about coins that are around? Oh dear. <laughs> I've, just I've just found out something about myself. This last week, see even if it even gets when it's even notes and wads of money, this last week, we'd been away to visit... Um, my mother-in-law, she's 92, and every time we go and visit in the Wirral, she always gives Steve money. It used to be petrol money. Now it's just money that he gets every time he goes to visit his mum. 
And sometimes I get a bit of it, but often he gets it and puts it in his pocket. And this week it was sitting on the side. Uh, over Easter we went, it was sitting on the side for, for over a week, and it was itching at me. It was these wads of money. So eventually I said to him, can I have that money to spend on the upcoming birthday presents? You know, rather than using the money from the bank, just wanted to tidy it up. It was, uh, it was surprising that Steve didn't say to me, you just had to spend it, didn't you? It just was sitting there. You just had to spend it, because that's the sort of thing he would normally say to me. But money has to be tidy in my mind. It has to have a place. It has to live in the, in the right place. And we're going to explore about how when we have breathing room in our finances, that actually life is better. Maybe life should look a little bit more like wardrobe number two, with everything has its place, everything has a little bit of space, and we have a nice, tidy money box. Now, that's okay. Money can live in a money box. I don't really kind of suggest that you keep all your money in your wardrobe, but, you know, for the analogy, it works that we need a nice, tidy place for our finances. Life is better when there's some breathing room in it. Now, I know that it's not one size fits all concerning finances and concerning money. We're all at different stages of life. We all have different levels of income. We all have different levels of savings, or none, as the case may be. We all have different expectations, different backgrounds, but we all have this one thing in common. We have a common responsibility that each of us have to handle our finances wisely. The Bible says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. God loves you. God loves me. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. You don't have to be a Christian in this place today to benefit from what I'm going to talk about. You don't have to have a faith. And you'll just maybe see it's good financial sense and knowledge, and it's very practical, and it's a very wise thing to do. Good, solid advice. But if you are a Christian, you cannot get around the fact that Jesus talks about money and about keeping our house in order. There's no option. There is a relationship between your ability to follow Christ and your willingness to get your finances in order. That is a huge statement. This week I've been spending a lot of time on this word and praying about it, and a lot of the materials from the, the Andy Stanley material that we looked with the breathing room there, lots of it's from there, but lots of it is what God's showed to me and taught me over the last few years. And that one sentence, I've gone over and over and thought, can I really say that? Is that really true? It sounds a bit harsh. There is a relationship between your ability to follow Jesus and your willingness to get your finances in order. Wow. Let's unpack this a little bit more and see if you come with me on the journey. If he is Lord of all, he is Lord of everything, or maybe he's not Lord at all. For Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we need to be willing to get our finances in order. 
This is not about giving this morning, but this is about creating breathing room. Within this room, there will be all different situations of financial journey. And in your notes, you've got four blanks there. I'm going to go through the different seasons that you may be on. And sometimes you go from one season to another. Sometimes you stay in a season. But there are ways to move from different seasons. And the first season would be struggling, the word struggling. There may well be people, and I'm sure there are people in this room who are struggling. Finances are a real struggle and a pressure. Difficult to make ends meet. Every meal is a challenge. Living from day to day or week to week. Finances are very difficult and very pressured. I remember a time when we felt a real difficult, pressured time that we're living with in our finances. Steve and I went off to Bible college. And before we went to Bible college, Steve was working. I was a student. And uh, we saved as much money as we could. And Steve chipped in his pension. And we had enough finances to pay for the first terms fees and to live for a term. And we thought, we'll see what happens after that. We were living by faith to see what would happen. You know, we, we struggled. We got the occasional bit of money through. We'd get sometimes checks through the letterbox. We'd visit home and we'd get the petrol money and family would give us a little bit of money. And it was difficult. I remember making a quiche and I would make four quiches and then freeze them all and we'd eat quiche. Talk about Christians eating quiche. That's all we seemed to eat because we had a big deep freezer and I would freeze it all and then we'd live off this quiche. Until I realized that God had given me some skills and that there was things that I could do, that we could do, that actually could bring some finances in. So through that period of that struggle, we got to the point where we weren't just waiting for God to drop it in our lap, but we actually started to do something about it. And my skill, I have a few skills, but the skill that I particularly put to task was I made cuddly toys. And I used to hand sew cuddly toys. I used to have car boot sales and sell them. And I used to knit for people and sell that. And had a way of actually bringing in a little bit of income. That's how we got through Bible college, via teddy bears. It was crazy, but it worked. People at the point of struggling, it's a real difficult, pressured time. Because you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. You don't know what's going to happen. Then there's then another season, which is the stable season. So there will be people in this room and in this church who are in a situation where things are quite stable. Things are okay for this week. You know what's going on. You know what finances you've got. But if you lost your job tomorrow, you might have only one month before you'd really struggle. And you'd find that the bills were starting to come in and that the notices, the letters were starting to come, say, and you're starting to struggle a little bit. Only one month slack have you got in your finances before you reach difficulty. They're the stable. And then the solid is the next category. You have at least three months before, if you lost your job, before you would find difficulty. You have at least three months that you would survive and you would cope paying all your bills, doing your mortgage, managing to feed you and your family, but only about three months before difficulty would hit. And then the fourth category, which is called the surplus category, category or season. This is where you have more money than you have bills. 
more money than your outgoings and your commitments. If only I hear some of you say. But there are people in this room that have surplus. They have more than they need to get by and to pay the bills. For some of us, we can't quite imagine being in that situation, but say the level of income what was needed for the month or for the year was here, and you have this much coming in, it's actually quite a responsibility to know before God, what do I do with all this finance that God has blessed me with when you have surplus? It has its own unique challenge when you have surplus finances. So whether you're in the struggling, whether you're in the stable, the solid, or the surplus, you'll be in one of those different seasons right now. And the majority of the church are probably in those center ones, the stable and the solid kind of category. But there are people in the struggling and in the surface category as well. We have a few things in place here at C3 to help support the financial journey. I mentioned, you know, when we were in a difficulty with finances, then I actually put some skills to work and actually... Uh, try to get some um, employment by actually selling, you know, what I'd made. We've intentionally looked at ways that we can help you and help us to actually get some employment. If you're not employed, we have a job club here within C3 with the actual intention of helping you and our community to get employment. It might well be that you just don't have the confidence anymore. You've lost some confidence and you need to be helped to have some new skills, maybe in interviewing techniques or just writing out your CV. We've intentionally looked and think, what can we put in place here to help people to move forward on that financial journey? It may be upskilling, a way of finding new skills that will help you, to help you in, in something more that you've got to offer towards the job market. You know, I feel that quite passionately that what we have here in C3 is as a massive volunteer culture. And volunteering is something that can really help upskill you. We have a, an amazing coffee shop. And many people are being trained to be baristas for the coffee shop. And you can use that skill here in C3, but you can use the same skill in Costa or Starbucks, or Nero's, it's transferable. It's a skill that you could use. If you students want to volunteer and come on the coffee shop, that's something that you can then take and say, it, when you're a student, when you go off to university, when you're in a different place, it's a skill that you can present to say that I've got. That's not the only way, but there's many other ways. In the office, on the C3 office at Alpha Terrace or in here, there's many things that you learn as you come and you volunteer. We have one lady who was a part of Hope House, and she was, she'd worked for a while and then she'd lost her job, and she was so lacked confidence. It took a half an hour to get into the actual room to be interviewed to even get into Hope House because she was so nervous about it. She came into Hope House, we were able to support her, to have a mentor. We have one house at the moment that has four women who have mentors every week that they would go and support them. And she had the, the mentoring regularly supporting her till she got to the point where we suggested that she could come into the office and volunteer. She thought that was a good idea, so she started to come and volunteer in the office. 
And then she volunteered at the food bank on Fridays at Alpha Terrace and met some new people and learned how to run the food bank there and gave us some more confidence. And she said, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd like to, to work in finances. And she went on the Shine course, and that gave her extra confidence as well. She came to the Breathe conference, which gave her more confidence again. She said, what I'd really like to do is to work in finances. So we managed to get a grant for her so that she could pay to be trained and to work into finances. And somebody who has a business here who's part of the church gave us some volunteer hours part of a finance company that he works in. Volunteering has given her step by step by step opportunities to get up and out in the morning, to be part of a group, to be part of a community. And now she's getting 98, 100% in her exams and she's on her way to actually becoming qualified in the area she wants to be qualified as well as holding down another job because she's got the confidence to do that. Volunteering can be a key way to help being upskilled. It's not only as part of CC, there's other things that you can do to upskill, but we have that in place. The academy, Victoria mentioned it today, we've had interns that have had uh, interns and people in the academy have had promotions in, in work as they've been part of the academy because it's a personal formation, personal development that's happening in your leadership. You develop yourself within that. We've had people in promotion, people change, people find their focus for the rest of their life in the work and the area they want to work into because they've been through the academy. We have managing finances courses. We have at the moment a Money Matters course that is running, which um, actually started on Friday when we're going to be giving you a card or it's available if you want to get involved in that. And Ruth runs the, the Money Matters course to help to keep finances in order. We also have a stewardship ministry here in the church, which Rob uh, runs a stewardship ministry. If Rob put his hand up there, if anybody wants to know about stewardship ministry, Rob is the guy to talk to. If you need some help and support in your finances, he can either point you in the right direction or maybe be able to help you. There's different things in place intentionally that we've put in place because we know that there is financial pressure everywhere. There's financial pressure all around us. When we first got married, you know, we bought our first house and then kids came along and then more kids came along and then you need a bigger car and then you need a nice holiday and then you need a nicer holiday and then you need to be concerned about their education and pay for different school trips and the pressure and the pressure and pressure builds up. But if you, are you ready for this statement this morning? If, if you go away with nothing else, this statement is that there is a real big difference between the standard of living and the quality of life. Society will tell us that you need to keep upgrading everything. Advertisers will tell us that you need to get bigger and better. And over the years, as our wage has increased, our standard of living has increased. But you know, the standard of living at times can be raised by debt, by getting ourselves into debt. But our quality of life will only be raised by discipline and doing things the hard way. We mustn't confuse the two things. The standard of living does not necessarily mean as the standard of living goes up, that our quality of life goes up. It's a lie that we've bought into 
that society tells us that we must have more, we must have more, we must have better, we must have bigger. It's not true. Remember, God loves you. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. There's a big difference. Standard and quality. Would you prefer to have an awesome marriage or cool cars? Guys, don't answer me that, okay? <laughs> you know, sometimes we can get into the trap of wanting all the stuff and it's putting a pressure on the things that really are important. You can get to the place where you put so many hours into the workplace and into the office and into earning that you're glad when your wife isn't at home when you get back because she might be on your case. But breathing room is what we're talking about. Breathing room is a way to actually be less concerned in our standard of living, but actually look at the quality of our life. Because when you have quality of life, you sleep better, you eat better, you relate to others better. Some of us aren't really even enjoying life, even though we've got a high standard of living. Some of us thought, well, if I get more money, then I'll be happier. But it's not necessarily true. Some of us can look from early, I can look at my early marriage and think, well, in the future when financial pressure is less because I'll have some more money, life will be easier. But it's not necessarily true. Finan creating breathing room may lower your standard of living but it will raise the quality of your life. If we look at our income, and then we look at our first graph here, and uh, if we take that as our income over a period of time, so on the bottom is time, and on the, the upscale is pounds, how much pounds, and we're kind of like looking at over our life how our wage may increase. Now, I know most people's income doesn't go like that. It goes up and down, it might be varied, but generally, if you're on a career path, your, your income will keep going upwards. But sometimes our income goes in line with what we spend. And if we keep spending every time we get a wage increase, then we still will feel financial pressure. Even if you have a job that gives you £150,000 per year, you can still feel financial pressure. And if you're the sort of person who has a wage of £30,000 or less, and you think, how can somebody who's got £150,000 have financial pressure? Because if they spend in accordance to their income, they will still find financial pressure. And if they lose their job, at 150,000K, there's less for them to find around a new job than it is if you're on 30K. The financial pressure is there. You know, I, I um, used to be involved in the food bank a lot over on Alpha Terrace and met all sorts of different people and different agencies that would come through. And I remember a time when I spoke uh, with a district nurse there and she said to me, do you know the people that have the most 
financial pressure concerning heating and electricity and gas and electric bills right now. And I thought to myself, is she referring to maybe King Hedges or Arbury or uh, the Abbey Ward, which are some of the poorest wards here in the Cambridge. And she said to me, it's actually Newnham, which is the richest ward in Cambridge, are actually finding the hardest financial pressure within gas and electric bills. And they were supporting them because they have big houses and maybe something happens within their finances. Or I remember one lady came in and her husband had left her and she was left with this huge mortgage, massive house, four children, and this financial pressure was on. So because the, the limit had, had been taken, gone to their limits on their finances and they were feeling the pressure. Just because you have a lot of money or you've got a high wage does not necessarily mean to say that you have a high quality of living. Some people will even go to this, uh-oh, spending is above income, uh-oh, not good. That is real bad news. Spending what you haven't got is real bad news. Remember I said time is limited so we have to limit our time but finances aren't always limited because you can borrow and then you get yourself into debt and the spending is higher than the income. We can all fall into the trap of debt but you know we often can't even enjoy the stuff that we've got we, even if we, we've got so much stuff around us because the pressure of it builds on top of us. Our banks, in some ways, don't help us because they actually facilitate our comfort and our ease in life. But then they become our masters. We become slaves to the bank, slaves to the bills, slaves to them. We can't buy this, we can't go there, we can't do this, we can't give that because we've got a slave, we've got a master over us telling us and restricting us all the time and the pressure and the worry gets to us. You know, last night I was involved in a, a CAP meal. We had a fundraiser's meal uh, for CAP. CAP is Christians Against Poverty. And they were talking about all the work of, of CAP and all the services of CAP and had stories of people who had become debt-free because of the support of CAP. And one guy stood up to tell his, share, his story. He was from Barry Sedmans. And it was so sad to hear that because he didn't have financial difficulty and he started to drink and he drank every day and he couldn't see any way forward, so he took overdose. And then he'd get rescued and he'd go into hospital and he'd think, something's gonna change, this can't go on like this. And he'd go back home and the pressure of things got to him again and he'd drink and then he'd get into more debt because he was spending more money on drink and, uh, and he's just got himself into a depressive state. You know, putting yourself into financial difficulties puts yourself in a very vulnerable, difficult place. And um, this guy was able to tell his story that he eventually got to the point where he rang CAP and said, I need help, I need support. 
and they walked him through. They actually had to help him through bankruptcy in order to get through some of his debt. And you know, he, he started going to church and he started to ask God's help for, for his life. He'd, writ, he'd hit rock bottom and he knew that he needed God in his life in order to save his life. And he, say, he told us that he was, he was told that he had to wean himself off the alcohol gradually. So instead of a whole bottle of whiskey a day, he did half a bottle of whiskey a day. Until he got up one morning and he said there was a little bit of whiskey left and he downed it. And then he said, could God, God, you need to help me with this. They say there's side effects, but I'm just going to stop drinking. And he stopped drinking. Then the next day and the day after, he was absolute free and he had no side effects at all, which was just amazing. But to hear his story of the, the desperation that finances and mismanagement of finances caused to him was so sad to hear. You know, I saw something this week which I thought was a, a great analogy. When you uh, look at this bottle of water, it's 500 milliliters. 500 milliliters in the bottle. So that weighs... I feel like my maths lesson's all over again. I used to be a maths teacher. Come on, guys, you know this. 500 grams. It's the same as the milliliters. It weighs 500 grams. If I pick it up, it weighs 500 grams. If I stand here and hold it for an hour, or I hold it for two hours, it still weighs 500 grams, but in my arm it won't weigh 500 grams anymore. It's going to feel, my muscles are going to start aching and I'm going to actually feel the weight of it. If I stood here for a day holding this water, it's really going to start hurting. That's what happens when we have financial pressure. That's what happens when we get into debt. The worry and the pressure of it gets heavier and heavier and heavier over our lives. I know that this is a very practical word, and it's a very, it's a difficult word to hear. It's a difficult message to preach, but you don't hear it very often because we can bury our heads under the sand a little bit. But, you know, I know that there's financial pressure. I know. I, I met a guy who came to take some photos for the, uh, here for this building. And uh, I talked about the CAP, that we have CAP working work here, Christians Against Poverty Debt Center. He said, oh, we've all got debt. I've lived with mine for the last 20 years. And I thought, it's just commonplace. But remember what I said at the beginning. If you're a Christian, this is something that we really need to look at, that we really need to start to tackle. Because our relationship with Jesus has a relationship with how we handle our finances. What we're looking for is some, and we'll look at the charts and breathing room, where our spending and our income has some margin between it, that we have some breathing space and breathing room. Why do we find it hard to get breathing room? Well, this week I was been looking at a, a passage, a parable, and to be honest, I never really understood this parable until this week. I looked at this parable and I thought, I don't quite get this. And I read it again and I studied it some more. It's a parable in Luke 16 with the shrewd manager. And he worked for a master. And the master 
said, Jesus is telling the story that the master was talking to the manager and said, I'm going to let you go because you're not handling my possessions right. You're actually making, wasting some of my possessions and I'm going to have to let you go and you're going to lose your job. And the Bible says here that the manager thought to himself, I like this guy, it's like, my master is taking away my job. What do I do now? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, the people, the people will welcome me into their houses. It's like, wow, he's quite clever, really. That's why he's called the shrewd manager, I guess. He's thinking, well, I can't dig and I don't want to beg. Let's actually work with people rather than trying to see if I can do it in that way. So he called all the people, his master's debtors. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, let's make it 400. And then he said to the second, and how much do you, do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And I thought, I've read this before, I thought, that's a bit cheeky really, isn't it? He's actually, you know, he's actually shortchanging his, his boss again because he's charging less than what they owe him. But the boss, the master, actually commended him. He commended him because he'd acted shrewdly. And it says in here, Jesus is speaking, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. It suddenly hit me that friends are more important than finances. Friends and the relationship are more important than money. That there is something more important in money in life. That the friendship that he now gave, had an open doors by the people around him because he put the friendship before he put the finances. When we have people walking through our doors who need food, who need heating support, who need a community lunch, it's not about the money. It's not about how much we've given. It's about connecting and building a friendship and building a relationship with that person who needs our support right at that point right then. That's why we want open arms whenever anybody comes in and needs some support and help because we are building a connection. We are building a relationship. Jesus went around feeding people. He had a following because he fed them because when you give something, it then opens the door. It opens people's hearts towards you. Friendship and relationship was more important than the finances. And then Jesus goes on and says, this is... This is a tough word. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Have you got a boss, maybe a regional boss, and then you've got a local boss? I wonder whether you find it hard to kind of commit to both, to do what both of them are telling you to do. You actually like one, but find the other one a bit tricky. You can't serve two masters at the same time, that you'll love one and you'll hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus says, this, is, this has been troubling me all week, but this is the word of God. 
You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and you'll hate the other. You'll despise one and you'll love the other. You cannot serve two masters. What he was saying that what God wanted from him was more important than the finances. Because see, money has power. Money is powerful and it has power and it can have a powerful hold on our lives. Jesus said, money and God, the love of money, the love of God. He's put them on a par. You can't do both at the same time. He must then mean that money has power. It has power over our lives if we let it. Have you ever seen a horse do dressage? It's a powerful animal. Powerful, powerful animal, a horse. If you've seen it do dressage, it's power that's harnessed, harnessed and under control. You know, money has power. It has great power, but we need to bring it under control. We need to harness in some way and be its master rather than let it master us so that we can be free from the power and love of money and finances. I know this isn't an easy word, and I've wrestled this week with this word, but it's the word of God. And the word of God, it's clear there. You cannot love both God and money. Creating breathing room in our finances may layer, lower our standard of living a little bit, but it will raise our quality of life. Because the com chief competitor for our heart is not the devil. It's stuff. Stuff that we want, stuff that shouts at us that we need. It competes all the time for our heart. We live, all of us, on a percentage of our income, but many of us don't know what that percentage is. But if we actually could set ourselves a percentage of income, then no matter how our wage increases, if we keep at that same percentage, then we will start giving ourselves some breathing room. You know, what we need to do is we really need to start to decide to do something differently. We need to do the right thing, even if we don't feel like it, and even if it's hard to do. That's called discipline, that we have to do, put something new in. It's not that we don't know what to do, it's like exercising. It's not like I didn't know how to exercise and didn't know how to work a treadmill. It's just I never had intention or wanted to do it. It's not like I didn't have the knowledge. We've got the knowledge. If we haven't got the money, then don't spend the money that we haven't got. It's not difficult, as in, in our head, but our hearts often can get pulled away to another direction. There's, I really believe that today's society has an entitlement um, attitude. Many of us, and maybe we're feeding it sometimes in our families or our young people or in ourselves, that we feel that we need special treatment in some way, that we're entitled to something. And there's this great new book that's come out called The Entitlement Cure, Finding Success and Doing Hard Things the Right Way. There's a, a little quote in here of a guy who really, uh, he was a successful business owner, but he'd actually uh, had a very difficult background. And he was asked um, about how he actually cured the entitlement in his own heart. It says, 
John Townsend, who's wrote this, said, I'm writing a book on curing entitlement in our culture. I told him, as a guy who's recovered from it, what was the key for you? He thought for a moment and replied, life had to kick me around a lot. Knowing his past, I agreed. This man had suffered relational losses, financial hard times, and a lack of respect from the public before he finally turned things around. Without question, he had been kicked around. I don't think that's all of it, I answered. I know a lot of people kicked around by life who are still totally self-absorbed and making life hard for themselves and the world. True, he said. A lot of people I know have crashed worse than I have, and they're still not getting it. I think the second piece for you, I said, was that at some point you decided that you had contributed to your misery and that you were the key to removing your misery. You stopped denying, blaming, and excusing, and looked at that guy in the mirror. That's when everything began to change. It was more than your suffering. It was how you interpreted the cause of your suffering. That's what caused the shift. There is a saying that we change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. You hit that tipping point and decided that the time had come to change, but not everyone does. A lot of people will either remain in their pain, continuing to hit their heads against the wall of reality, or else someone keeps rescuing them from it. That's pretty much what happened to me, he admitted. Eventually, my parents and my friends decided not to enable my bad behavior. And when I got sick of the pain, that was when my tipping point I just wished I'd done all of this sooner. Decide to do something about it. Decide to put in some breathing room. Don't believe the myth that if you've got more money, you'll be better off. Don't believe that you deserve better because somehow you're entitled to it. You work hard, so I deserve it. And don't believe the lie that it will sort itself out. It will fi be fine. No, it won't. Not unless you do something about it. Decide to live on a percentage of your budget. Decide together as couples what that percentage would be. For many years, we have a budgeting sy system in C3, and all the different departments have budgets at the beginning of the year set. And for many years, we set all our finances on the budget level, and we used everything for all the different departments and allocated it through. The last two years, we decided that actually we wanted breathing room. We didn't call it that. We didn't kind of know about this concept then, but we put some space into our budgeting system. And we have a budget, which is a budget for whenever something crops up and we want to give it away and we want to bless somebody. And it's not in a it's not in a confined budget line. It's kind of it's a, a, it's a breathing room line. And as a leadership team, we can then decide what we want to do with that finances. It's kind of a generosity line in some ways. And this week, we were able to give some finances and a family who are in a difficult health situation. We were able to give them some finances. And we also heard that there was uh, a couple over in Loughborough Lydia and, Tar and Roy Todd, they, uh, they set up a, in a cinema and they had a break-in in their storage unit and lots of their equipment for the church had been taken from the break-in. 
And we saw it on Facebook. And then as a team, we talked about it and said, shall we go and send them a gift? And so we were able to send them 500 pounds to be able to replace some of the, the equipment that had been stolen. So the beginning of the week, they had a break-in. By the middle of the week, they had the finances to be able to replace it. It felt so good to be able to have that breathing room that we had finances that we could just easily give out from what we had. It brought a relax, it brought peace to their situation and it brought a blessing to us to be able to give it. You know, if you're going to do this, you need to start looking at your finances and see where it's going. Maybe spy on your money for three months and see what you actually spend your money on and start cutting your spending some places and start listening to the God whisper. Because, you know, I believe that God wants us all to have space to be able to be generous. And you don't have to have lots of money in order to be generous. But the great amount of finances you have, the greater the financial gift can be. You can have any level of finances and you can be generous in heart, whether it's buying a cup of coffee, whether it's taking somebody in a lift in your car, whether it's giving something for free on C3 Trader rather than giving it for finances. There's ways to be generous. You don't have to have lots of money to do that. But you know, I believe generosity is a, an issue of the heart. And you can't love God and love money. A test of that is how freely do you let it go? How free are you to let finances go? That's a sign of what are you holding most dear? What are you keeping most close to yourself? Generosity admits that God is the author of finance and he owns the earth and everything in it. And I want to show you a short clip of a lady who was generous in her own heart and that led on to a very generous act for her as well. Let's listen to the story of Catherine. We're going to show it on the side screens. I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just gave what I had. I was shocked, 
And so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used or new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott. And he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It felt so right, but it was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I will never forget in my life.
I love that. We give because it is the nature of Jesus Christ. Church, we are a generous church in many ways. We are generous. But there's so much more. There's so much more that God has for us. We are generous to the community. We've even got a reputation now in the city. But you know what? There's so much more. There's such a greater level that we can function at. I'm a dreamer. I dream about the things that we can do. I'm, so, I'm sure you have ideas and thoughts. I, I think about laptops. Why couldn't we bring laptops in and somebody could fix them and we could have a team fixing them and we give them to the people that come to the job club or the people that come to the food bank or people that come to the lunch who can't afford to buy a laptop so they can be upskilled in some way. What about bikes? You know, there's loads of bikes that the police gather all these bikes and they don't know what to do with them. Why couldn't we... Why couldn't we fix them up and give them to people that could help them with their employment, get transport, and they could get about? Why couldn't we do some of these things? Why could we not just gather our resources and our skills and be generous to our community, be generous to one another? How about we give things away for free because we want to build the friendship and the relationship more than we want to get the money back because we've got something in the cupboard that sat there for a year and I don't really need it anymore. I'll see if I can sell it for 20 quid. Why don't you go to somebody and say, I just want to bless you. I heard you need this. Just have this. Let's be more generous people. Let's be a reflection of our hearts saying, there is something more important than money in this world. And that is Jesus Christ and his salvation for this place and for this nation. Let's stand and sing this final song, and I'm gonna come and bring an appeal for those who, for the first time, wanna give their lives to Jesus.